Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Good morning. Good morning, beloved family. I think I have an echo on my end. Um, I'm not sure if all is well, but uh, I'll just continue. I'm hearing hearing myself twice. I don't know what you're hearing. We had some uh, technical difficulties this morning, so um, I'm happy to be with you. Always happy, happy to be with you. And we have been talking about the rosary And I, last night, had a wonderful time with Father Rick Heilman and Doug Berry on, um, uh, let me see now, the the Grace Force, the United States Grace Force. And Father uh, Rick said that it was, um, uh, instead of the United States Space Force, he made it the United States Grace Force. Hang on, let me just make a note here. Uh, I'll just tell the engineer that, um, okay, that's fine. Hold on, they're working on the echo. All right. Um, And we had a most wonderful time. I'm not sure you can get it on the Internet um, with Father Heilman and Doug Barry. I think they have a podcast once a week, and it's they're fun. They're just wonderful. Father Rick is the warrior priest of the church. He is the warrior priest. He has made a combat rosary um, out of gunmetal um, and so many things. He has the Catholic man on the website, on the, on the Internet. Um, oh, he's got so much. I can't keep up with him. But we had a lot of fun talking about the rosary last night in honor of our Lady of the Rosary, whose feast day, as you know, was um, October 7th, and we uh, celebrated here on the Station of the Cross and LifeSite News, the Feast of Our Lady of the Rosary. Again, I don't know if you can hear the echo of my voice on your end. It's It's very strong on my end, so if you do hear it, know that they're, the engineers are working on it. Um, Okay, in any case, yesterday we were reading through a book by Bishop Fulton Sheen, and um, it's called The 15 Mysteries, no, Meditations on the 15 Mysteries of the Rosary. It was written in 1944, and nobody equals Bishop Sheen. He is so magnificent. So we read the introduction. We read the first two mysteries of the joyful uh, um, mysteries. Um, And uh, so that we read the Annunciation and talked about it. And then the Visitation. Um, And we are up to now on... No, and we talked about the nativity as well. I'm stumbling here because I'm, I'm hearing myself back at myself. So uh, we'll, we'll be straightened out soon. The fourth mystery is my favorite, and it is the theme 
of the Daughters of Mary, Mother of Israel's Hope. It is our major feast day. Um, and so, I don't know if we're on sound at all now. Um, uh, I don't hear anything at all now. So, um, oh dear, I don't know if we're on or not. Let me just let me just ask them. Hold on, if you can hear me, hold on, so I can so I can see what's happening. Um, all right, uh, all right. Hold on there. Hold on. Um, okay. Uh, okay, I'm letting them know that I don't hear a thing, and so um, maybe you are. I don't know how all this equipment works, but um, it's it's from the headquarters out of state. Okay, okay, very good. All right, so the presentation is the fourth mystery, and it's my glorious one. Let me, and, and the theme, the presentation of our Lord is the, um, I, I started to say, the major feast day of, we're Benedictines. And so the Feast of St. Benedict and St. Scholastica, and for us, Our Lady of Guadalupe and St. Francis de Sales, those are our four major feast days. But I want to tell you, above those four, is the presentation of our Lord in the temple. Um, I'll tell you why. Let me see what Bishop Sheen covers, because he's too wonderful to be true, but he is true. And you know that he's up for canonization now. Um, So he writes this. Every child is an arrow shot out of the bow of its mother, but its target is God. Children have come through mothers, but they do not belong to them. Listen up, mothers. Children come through you, but they don't belong to you. They belong to God and they who created them, and you are a very honored steward of those children. So let me continue with Bishop Sheen here. Mary acknowledges this claim of divinity on her child by presenting him back again to God as she offers the temple of his body in the temple made by hands. Um, She offers the temple of his body in the temple made by hands. That's as she brings him to the synagogue, to um, the temple in Jerusalem for the presentation according to Old Testament law. That's my own comment here. Okay, I continue with Bishop Sheen. Mary here anticipated the joy of every mother who brings her child to the baptismal front where God may claim his own. But in the case of Mary, the child was claimed for sacrifice as the aged Simeon said that he was assigned to be contradicted for the cross is the contradiction. Mary was even told that a sword her own soul would pierce. That would happen when her son on the cross would have his heart pierced with a lance. Through his body and her soul would go that one, that one stroke of the sword. Let me continue here. Um, Here it goes. Um, She was the only mother who ever brought a life into the world to die. It is not so much our presence that God wants from us. It is our 
presence. So as Bishop Sheen spells it, it is not so much our presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S, the things we give to God that he wants, as it is our presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E, as we offer our life to him. And I'll tell you for me, beloved, that's the end of this. They're very short little chapters on the on the mysteries of the rosary. But I tell you, um, as I read Luke 1, Luke chapter 1, and um, oh, I left my Bible in the chapel. Oh, dear, but it's okay. The angel came to Mary and and said, Hail Mary, full of grace. And then he announced to her that she would bear the very Son of God. And it's just too too magnificent. For the whole first chapter, She go, the angel goes through, the one Mary would bear would be the Son of God, and every credential of the long-awaited Messiah was met. Absolutely, that he would come from uh, Jacob, uh, uh, through Isaac, through Abraham, that he would that he would set up his kingdom and it would reign forever, according to uh, uh, Samuel. It it every prophecy of the Messiah, and I pictured saying, "Is it now?" I pictured Mary saying, "Is it now?" And is it me? Um, and then the angel told her that um, Sim, uh, um, no. So there it was. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm messing things up. I have to go get my Bible. Um, Simeon was there. And Simeon was an ancient, he was ancient, he was very old. But he was told somehow that he would not die before he saw the Lord's Messiah. That he would live to see the Messiah. That he would live to see the very Messiah that the Jewish people had been waiting for since Abraham for 2,000 years that God would not let him die before he saw the Messiah. And he waited every single day outside the temple on the steps, and he looked at every single couple, young husband and wife, coming to present their newborns in the temple according to the law of Moses, to offer the firstborn to God. And he looked and he looked and he looked. I don't know how many days he was out there. But one day he saw Mary and Joseph Joseph had a little cage with two turtle doves, which was the offering of the poor. And Mary held the child, capital C, the child in her arms. And however Simeon recognized that child as the Messiah, um, just a few days old, uh, we don't know that. Uh, but, But we know that God enabled Simeon to know that he was the Messiah in Mary's arms. And he went to that couple, and he took the baby very slowly, very gently, very reverently from Mary's arms. And he held him up to God, that little tiny infant. And he said to God, Nunc Dimitris, now dismiss thy servant in peace. It's the, it's the prayer of Compline that every religious, every priest, the Holy Father himself, and everyone who prays the liturgy of the hours prays every single night. Dismiss thy servant in peace, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared um, before all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles 
and glory to thy people Israel. He would be a light to the Gentiles. That is the vocation God gave to Israel in Isaiah 49. He would be that they would be a light to the nations, the Gentiles, same word. How would they do that? They would do that primarily by bringing the Messiah into the world through them. Messiah, the son of David, into the world. And um, when that little baby grew up and died on the cross, and then he um, uh, resurrected, came back to life, and he told them before he ascended into heaven to go into all the world, uh, Judea, Jerusalem, Samaria, and the other parts of the world, to be a light to the nations. In other words, now with the infilling of the Holy Spirit, now they had the power, not just the instruction, but the power to live out the vocation God had given them in the Old Testament, but they didn't have the Holy Spirit dwelling within them in the, whole, in the Old Testament. They kept sinning and turning from God, just like we do. But with the Holy Spirit that God gave them, now they could go and be a light to the nations and tell the nations that this Messiah who came through them and for them, but for the whole world, uh, is here. The kingdom of God is here because the king is here, and they need to repent and turn to him. Some people think that um, uh, our Lord spread the gospel to the Gentiles because the Jewish people rejected him. Well, to begin with, that is wrong for two reasons. Uh, to begin with, the gospel going to the Gentiles was not plan B um, because the Jewish people rejected him. That's not the case. God planned. He formed a people for himself. The Jewish people didn't exist. He formed a people. He took Abraham out of Ur the Chaldeans, out of a pagan worshiping people. Do you know that Abraham wasn't Jewish? The first Jew wasn't a Jew. He wasn't Jewish. God took him. His parents were idol worshipers, and he said his name was Abram, not Abraham yet. Abram means high and honored father. And his name would be changed to Abraham, which means a father of all nations. And God said to Abram, Genesis chapter 12, uh, Abram, I want you to go to a land I'm going to show you. It didn't tell Abraham where, just go where I show you. And um, it will be through your seed, Abraham, that all the nations of the world will be blessed. Through the seed of Abraham, the Apostle Paul tells us in the book of Galatians, in his letter to the Galatians, that that was singular. The seed of Abraham would... um, um, that all the nations of the earth would be, nations, Gentiles, it's the same word, would be blessed. All the nations would be blessed. So you see, it was plan A. God formed a people for himself to bring the Savior, the Messiah. Messiah means anointed one. The only Savior to the world that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. Well, what if people were Buddhists? What if they were all kinds of religions, then what? Are they supposed to give up their religion? Indeed they are. They're not to give up who they are, a destined child of God. They need to say, Lord, you showed us you exist. You showed us your God. You built the knowledge of yourself within our hearts. We knew that, and we've been 
worshiping you as best we can, as best our leaders have shown us how, and we've grown up with this. But now you've showed us that you sent your son who came to earth as a vulnerable little baby and grew up among us to save us, but we put him to death. But he didn't stay dead. You rose him from the dead to prove that he was the son of God and to send your people out to all the world to preach salvation. In fact, beloved, now that I'm on the subject, that's exactly what needs to happen with the Amazon and the Amazon Synod. There is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. We are not saved by worshiping the earth. We are not saved by worshiping false gods. We're not saved through our culture. We're saved through the Son of God, the Savior of the world, who came and died that we might live. It's the only message of salvation, beloved. If you're Jewish, he's yours. He's your Messiah. And you say, but I don't understand. He was supposed to set up his kingdom. And the world is in such an incredible mess right now. And you're very right. But he came first to set up his kingdom, a spiritual kingdom in the hearts of men, to take away sin and to make us children of God, not just physically, but spiritually, that we would be born not just from our mothers, but from above, that we would be born again, once from our mothers, once from above, and have the Christ of God, God himself, living within us to transform us. He will come again to judge the living and the dead and to set up his kingdom on earth. But when he comes again, beloved, it will be too late for those who have not given their hearts to him first because of his first coming. It's not too late. You can do that today. You can do that today. Run to the confessional in a Catholic church. Run to a priest. Ask him to tell you the means of salvation. And you could be a new creation today. The scriptures say if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. All things pass away. All things become new. You can be new. You can start life again. When I first heard, I was given a little tract by Jews for Jesus, saying if life hasn't given you much satisfaction, try being born again. And I said, what on earth? How can you be born again? Can you go back in your mother's womb and come out again? Of course not. I didn't understand it. But I tell you what, when I gave my life to Christ, I was born again. I was a new creature. I was a Martian on earth, a new creation Indeed, I was. The old was passed away and all things became new. I was living in Los Angeles and I ran through the city. I figured it's the first time Jesus lived in me, the Jewish Messiah, Yeshua. He was alive in me and I never knew this before. And so I figured nobody else knew it. So I ran through the streets. I, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. You know there's a God. You know you could know him. Everywhere. I had to tell people on the bus, in my work, in restaurants. I had to tell them. They didn't know, and I knew. How could I, how could he have come 2,000 years ago and I didn't know? And, and why wasn't there peace on earth? Why wasn't his kingdom set up? Why didn't he defeat the Romans? Why, 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 why? And it's because he came to save us not a political salvation, but a spiritual one, that we could live with him forever. And if we're with him, we die before his second coming, we will be with him in heaven forever. And if he comes, and he's going to come, the scriptures say, like a thief in the night, we're not going to have any warning. 
and if we have not given our hearts to him, we're going to be in hell forever. I know some people are very shocked to hear those words because you don't hear them today, but that's what our Lord said. That's what our Lord said. Whoever believes in me will have life. Whoever does not obey me, in fact, John 3, 36, um, will not have life, but the wrath of God will abide on him. John three thirty six. whoever believes in me will have life, but whoever does not obey me um, will not have life. He's talking eternal life. And what I learned was that the word belief and the word obey are from the exact same Greek word in which that was written. The same word in the Greek. One translated belief, one translated obey. Which one is correct? They're both correct. Um, it is the, um, what is the Apostle Paul said, I preach to you the obedience of faith. Romans chapter 2, the obedience of faith. Faith obeys. If someone says, I believe, and they don't obey, they're, they're deceived or they're lying. If they're not deceived, then they're lying. They're fooling themselves. Someone who does not obey does not believe. If you say you're a Christian and you are cohabiting with anybody outside of a true legitimate marriage between a man and a woman, then you do not believe and you will not be in heaven. No matter what you say, the devils say, uh, James tells us that the devils give assent, they believe, though they're not in heaven. It's not just an intellectual belief. It's the belief of our whole life. And when we believe, we live according to what we believe. And I've, I've mentioned before that, you know, maybe some Catholics will go out of uh, the house on Sunday and their neighbors are Jewish, um, and, but they don't go to church and the neighbors and they tell the neighbors they're Catholic and the Jewish people say, no, you're not. I see you don't go to church on Sunday. And they say, I know sometimes we mess up, but we believe the Jew will say, oh, no, you don't. I will tell you what you believe by how you live. Beloved, there's the music for our break. I know you know it by now. Call in with anything on your heart. One toll free. One eight seven seven. 5115483 or email at mother at the station of the cross.com. We'll be right back. Weekdays from 6 to 7 a.m. Eastern for Sermons for Everyday Living, a program that brings you real sermons from real priests on topics important to you and your faith. Visit thestationofthecross.com for details. Are you having a hard time keeping up with all that's going on these days in the Vatican? Did you know that LifeSite puts out a monthly print news magazine in beautiful full color? Our magazine, Faithful Insight, gives you all the most important coverage from Rome and lets you read it away from the computer, phone, or tablet. It summarizes dozens of new happenings down to the essentials, but provides full analysis on all the most important developments. Faithful Insight brings you the coverage of the Vatican that you know and expect from LifeSite in a different form. It has received high praise from cardinals, bishops, priests, and faithful who want to stay abreast of the most crucial battle in our time, 
the battle for the soul of the church. Subscribe today at faithfulinsight.com and may God bless you. St. Anthony Mary Claret said, Love is the most necessary of all virtues. A great way to show love for your neighbors is by placing a Catholic Radio bumper magnet on your car. This way, no matter where you go, you're providing the opportunity for others to learn about Christ and His Church. We offer free bumper magnets to promote Catholic Radio so others will come to know our Lord through listening. For your free bumper magnets, click the Promote tab at the top of our website, thestationofthecross.com. That's thestationofthecross.com. Then click the Promote tab at the top of our website. Thank you for sharing Catholic Radio wherever your journeys take you. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved family. How are you doing? I pray that you're doing well. And we have a whole, I love this part of the program because we have a whole half hour to ourselves and you are invited to call in with anything on your heart. I can't always answer everything, but we can give you references where you can get the answer. And the toll-free number to call or text, excuse me, is one 511 5483 or email at mother at We have Jean on the line. Hi, Jean. Hi, Mother Miriam. Thank you for taking my call. Um, I have a concern uh, and, and an experience I just recently experienced, um, and it's about the St. Michael prayer yes. that is said mm-hmm. after Mass, not part, of the, not, not part of the liturgy, not part of the Mass, but after Mass, and why, what is, what, could you explain to me why some do and some don't yes. do that after Mass? Yes. Um, it was Saint, uh, it was Leo the Thirteenth, who, after celebrating Mass, you might know this, fell into a trance. And um, he saw uh, the war, he saw Satan fighting, and he composed the St. Michael Prayer. And he asked it to be said after every Mass throughout the world. Um, and subsequent popes have asked that. But they've stopped asking it, I think. And so those that are more traditional have kept that very good uh, tradition. And many don't. Um, most Novus Ordo Masses uh, parishes do not, but some do. And... Um, uh, all of the uh, Latin masses, the extraordinary form, say it because it's included in the prayers after the low mass. So it, it's a, kind of included in the rubrics right in the missal. It's a very, very important prayer. And, um, and God gave it to um, Leo Thirteenth so that we can pray it. Um, are we in sin if we don't pray it? Uh, I think the the whole most of the church does not pray it because 
um, again, the Novus Ordo Masses do not. But the Catholic Masses, in the extraordinary form, do in the low Mass. They do not in the high Mass. But I go to the extraordinary form, and we pray it as part of our Thanksgiving after Mass, even if the priest does not. It's a wonderful prayer, Jean, and every one of us should pray. In fact, we here at the Daughters of Mary, Mother of Israel's Hope, we pray it following Mass every day and the Rosary every day. We make it part of the, the closing prayers of the Mass and the Rosary. Because what's happened? What we had uh, we we had in, we had someone uh, share this. Uh, if, if the lay people want to do it after Mass, if we want to do it on our own, we have the right to do that. It doesn't have to be led by the priest. And uh, we did that for a couple of days, and then we were told to stop. So um, The priest told you to stop? Uh, yep. Because uh, that's did it give you, you a reason? It, you know what? No, because it was a, a bad time that I asked, it because he was ready to say Mass, and it was not a good time. I need to go back to find Oh, it out. was before he, Mass? Yeah, just before Mass. I no, asked, you shouldn't do I that. Told, well, I told him what we were doing, and he was upset that we were doing it, because we had done it two days. No, after say, Mass, not before Mass. Yeah, I know. Um, so I, I need to go and make an appointment to find out what... The reason is why. No, 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 Jean, Jean, Jean. You said you were praying it before Mass. We were praying it after Mass, but I went and told him what we were doing. Before Mass. Why did you tell him? Because uh, I just wanted to make sure that he was okay with that, with us doing that. No, it's okay. I'd let the whole thing go. Don't ask his reason. Let it go, Jean. Because you're still praying it after Mass, right? And he hasn't stopped you? No, he doesn't want us to pray it, and we have stopped. Oh, so he doesn't even want you to pray it after Mass? That's correct. Oh, okay, then. Then, then yes, absolutely make an appointment uh, and ask him why. Uh, yeah. you, you shouldn't be stopped, unless he wants everybody out of the church to lock up quickly. No, that's not the case. No. Okay, then. So just ask him why. Ask him respectfully um, and, um, and, and see what his reason is. All right, but you have you have every right to pray that prayer in church and with other people if you're not disturbing anyone. Now, there's another point here. If people are trying to pray after Mass, see, when it's included in the Mass, as in the extraordinary form for low Mass, everybody prays it together with the priest. But if it's after Mass and there are people that want to pray privately and silently, and there's a group of people praying the Rosary or St. Michael prayer, it's, it's not good. It's very disturbing. People should be allowed a quiet time after Mass to pray. They should be. So if it's not the tradition of the Church, he may have had a complaint from someone saying, we can't pray because they're always praying the St. Michael prayer. So you need to be considerate of other people because, again, it's no longer part. He's not making it part of Thanksgiving after the Mass. And so um, I know, dear Jean, when I've been at Masses, in the Extraordinary Mass, it's just not an issue because nobody prays aloud except if they're praying during the Mass or during the Thanksgiving of the Mass with the priest. Other than that, nobody prays aloud because we want to respect one another 
to have our quiet time, our devotions are just being in front of God. Very disturbing when people pray out loud. Some people pray the rosary privately, and they don't know how to pray it quietly. It's very disturbing. So it could have been that somebody even complained to the priest, um, in which case he should have said, you know, um, I need to ask you to stop because it's disturbing some people. And then you can pray it quietly on your own. You don't have to pray it as a group. Yeah, well, we we do have we we do say the rosary before mass. And we say it after the rosary, but I just want to tell you that when we started saying it on our own, the lay people, we had so many positive results. Good. So there were a lot of people who were very happy that a few of us took the initiative to take the advice uh, of starting it on our own as a lay community, not not by do, not by the okay. Gee, that's good. And you're saying you're bringing in different factors along this phone conversation. To pray the rosary before Mass in church, even our extraordinary Mass, we do that. That is all right. Um, and to, to finish with the St. Michael's and other prayer is absolutely all right. But after Mass, you need to be very careful and sensitive if the priest is not leading the people to respect other people there who may want to pray privately and silently. So be very respectful when you go to the priest and say, Father, I'm just curious. Can you tell me why? Okay? Do that. I will All do right. that because I need to know that answer. Okay, Jean. God bless okay. you. There's Thank our music. You. You're welcome, sweetheart. A music for our sep- second break. Call in with anything on your heart. Toll free. one 511 5483 or email at mother at We'll be right back. Users of iCatholic Radio are leaving inspiring reviews in the iTunes and Google Play stores. Emilia says, iCatholic Radio is the only radio station I listen to. It's my constant companion whether I'm in my car or walking. It's a good way to learn and to deepen my understanding about my faith. It's a source of reliable information of which we badly need in our culture. I encourage everyone to listen and support iCatholic Radio as a gateway to heaven. Another reviewer writes, at last, a radio station worth listening to. Thank you, I love it. And Deepak writes, a Catholic media treasure trove, spiritually uplifting and fun. One reviewer says, love it, love it. I'm learning so much about the Catholic faith, it makes me seriously consider conversion. If you haven't reviewed iCatholic Radio yet, we'd love to hear from you. Visit our page at the iTunes or Google Play Store. LifeSite News is an international news agency devoted to defending life and family and restoring Christian culture. We aim to educate and activate our readers with the information they need to fight the most crucial battles of our day in their churches, workplaces, and families. Our motto is Caritas in Veritate, love in truth. We firmly believe that promoting the truth is an act of love, however hard it is to hear. Over the last 20 years, we have built a reputation for uncompromising reporting, no matter the cost. LifeSite News is by far the most popular pro-life website on the Internet, with over 40 million unique users every year and growing. Check us out at LifeSiteNews.com. Good morning, good morning. 
Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. This is our last segment together, and we have over 15 minutes, so I welcome you to call in with anything at all on your heart um, at the toll-free or text at one eight seven seven five one one five four eight three or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. We have an email It's someone who writes it anonymously and says, God bless you, Mother. Thank you, dear one. Um, And writes, I am in need of your guidance. My family and I attend a traditional holy mass. And my two boys, 16 and 13 years of age, were serving as altar boys. My concern is the following. When an immodest man or woman, especially women... Uh, that are exposing their bodies due to their lack of clothes. Now, I think just due to the clothes not properly covering them is what she means, or he means. Go to receive our blessed Lord in Holy Communion. Are my boys guilty of participating in a sin by holding the patent for immodestly dressed communicants? Before I go on with your email, I will say absolutely not. Your boys are not committing a sin by holding that patent for them to receive communion, even though they are modestly dressed. And um, she or he writes, in a letter of exhortation from Pope Pius XI in 1930, he wrote, quote, Maidens and women dressed immodestly are to be debarred from Holy Communion and from acting as sponsors at the sacraments of baptism and confirmation. Further, If the offense be extreme, they may even be forbidden to enter the church, end quote. Now, I'm going to tell you, beloved, I agree with that 100%. No priest should allow an immodestly dressed woman or man to be in that church. It's no place for immodesty. Absolutely no place for immodesty. And I absolutely agree, and they should be accepted as sponsors, uh, or anything else, or any ministry in the church, if they're not, if they're immodestly dressed. I agree with that 100%. She says, I have talked with our priest, and he said that he does not want to deny our blessed Lord because he does not want to create a scandal in front of the parishioners. And also, that when an immodest person is ignorant of the way they are dressed, they are only committing material sin. Maybe he means venial versus mortal. Um, we are accountable for what we know. So it, it's true that many women who dress immodestly, um, and I'm going to tell you in my mind, most do today, uh, don't because, again, the tight-skinned leggings they wear used to be my underwear, and I, I think it's it's embarrassing to me. It's absolutely shameful. Most women dress immodestly today, um, but they don't know it. I don't believe they know it. They have simply not been taught modesty. That has to be taught from childhood on for the most part. 
And so um, he doesn't want to create a scandal in front of parishioners. Well, that's just fine. But he needs to go to that person after the Mass and say, um, you know, if he doesn't know if they're a Catholic, say, you know, have you been Catholic all your life? Are you Catholic now? Whatever it is to make sure they're Catholic. And then to say, I need to ask you to dress more modestly. Um, uh, to be in a church, it's not proper to have wear tight clothing. Anything above the knees, sleeveless is improper. Low cut is improper. All of that. It's all improper. They need to dress modestly, but they need to be taught. And uh, she writes here, my boys are not ignorant and the priest is not ignorant. We understand um, that the priest cannot control who shows up and how they are dressed. But we believe that the priests, priest has the duty to deny communion to those who are externally unworthy of receiving our blessed Lord. I wouldn't do that. I would say if anybody enters, he can't control who shows up, quote unquote, and how they are dressed. He cannot, but he needs to go over to them in the pew and before mass starts, he needs to go over to them in the pew and quietly um, motion for them to follow him out of the church or speak to them after mass or have good ushers who are well-trained to not allow anyone immodest to come into the church. And she writes, is it wrong to believe that immodest dressing and true Catholicism do not mix? No, you're right. Immodest dressing and true Catholicism do not mix. But as you suggested earlier, people need to be taught. And for the most part, I see very devout families in church with lovely young ladies and they're growing up and they're, they're very beautiful and they wear dresses above their knees and they don't even wear stockings and they wear high heels. It's, it's an awful, awful witness. It's an awful, awful witness. And this is from a very quote unquote devout Catholic home. They never miss mass. They're lovely people. It's a lovely family, but they are immodest, and they do not know it. She says, Mother, we want to do God's will in our lives. Are we being scrupulous in our way of thinking? No, you're not. You're not being scrupulous. Um, You're simply being modest. Uh, You simply are sensitive to what honors God and what does not. It's not scrupulous. Well, I can't say that. Scrupulosity. She says, thank you for your time and may God bless and keep you good. God bless you, uh, beloved. So uh, speak to your priest about it. And if he doesn't want to do anything about it, then I would, uh, you could do your sons, you could tell your sons that, that tell the priest that he, that they are not to be involved in holding the patent during communion because of they don't want to hold it for a modestly dressed women. You can tell them that. That's very legitimate. And if he says that you can't be an altar server, well then you don't be an altar server. But he does not to be he does not need to be in the place of someone who will hold the patent. He could have other positions. Okay. We have another email from somebody who writes in anonymously Um, and says, Hello, Mother Miriam. I'm trying to come to peace with the fact that my husband abandoned me and our two boys. One was 16 years old at the time and a 20-year-old. 
We had six children together, but the other four were already out of the house. I still cannot fully understand why he left. People tell me it was because he didn't want the responsibility any longer. He left me with absolutely no money and threw us out of the house with nowhere to go. My goodness. If um, that statement, if he threw you out of the house with nowhere to go, I would say he's mentally ill. He is, he's not a good man. He's not simply a selfish man. Uh, he is mentally ill. No one throws a woman with her two children out of the house with nowhere to go and not a penny unless there's something wrong with them. There may be something wrong with the mother and children and the house and the whole situation, but you don't put them out on the street with nowhere to go. Um, she says, I'm divorced and annulled, trying to move on with my life. Now my boys are working and going to school. I truly want to forgive him and not be angry and hurt anymore. I pray to be able to let go, but I still struggle financially, and it makes me angry that he left without a penny. This was two and a half years ago. Well, the anger is justified. The anger is absolutely justified. But my dear one, you will not be justified before God if you don't forgive. You must. You must forgive. You, because you pray uh, in the Our Father, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass or who sin against us. And so if we don't forgive, we are asking God to not forgive us. So you must, you must forgive as God in Christ has forgiven you, has forgiven us, even when we uh, put the nails in his hands and put him on the cross, he forgave us. We must forgive. We don't have an option. As far as you're being angry that he left you without a penny, you have every right to be angry, but it's two and a half years. And if you remain angry and forgive him, you're going to make yourself sick because he did it to you once, for anger, you're doing it to yourself over and over and over and over again by rehearsing things. So it's not helping anything. Um, she says, I was a housewife and homeschooled my children. I never worked and always suffered from severe migraines. So I receive SSI, that's disability, but it is not sufficient to live on. How can I forgive and forget this nightmare? Well, beloved, you must forgive. You won't be able to forget it. But if you forgive, as God in Christ has forgiven you, how did he do that? While he was on the cross, while you and I put him to death, he said, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. Well, why do you mean they wouldn't know what they're doing? Yes, they did. They put him on the cross. They put nails through him. They beat him. They spit on him. What do you mean they didn't know what they were doing? The Apostle Paul said, if we knew who he was, um, we would not have crucified the Lord of glory. It's blindness. They didn't know what they're doing. They knew the physical act, but they didn't know not only who they were, who he was, but truly what they were doing because sin blinds us. And so... Um, you must forgive as God has forgiven you. Um, you must. And, uh, and then what you need to do is offer your suffering and your wounds and your, um, um, your um, 
the heartbreak and, and all the damage done to you by that man. You need to um, take that suffering and add it to our Lord's suffering on the cross. Because you put him to death. I put him to death. We all put him to death. But the fact that we all put him to death does not excuse us from individual responsibility. And we can, now that we're not putting him to death, now that by his grace we've come to love our Lord, if if we were in front of Calvary today, if we could go back 2,000 years, we would want to give ourselves to him. We would want to crawl up on the cross out of love for him who was giving himself for us. That's what we need to do today. By his grace, we've come to love him. And he has forgiven us for putting him to death. And we need to offer our sufferings. We need to crawl up on that cross with him and offer our suffering. That's what offer it up means in Catholic language. Offer it up. Give it to Jesus. Say, Jesus, this really hurts me. And instead of wallowing in self-pity and all of that, I have another gift for you to add to the suffering of the cross for the salvation of your children, that man, whoever it is. And your boys are old enough to work and uh, contribute money to the house. They must, in fact. It's not their choice. Uh, they must work and they must give their salary for whatever's needed, not 10%, not 50%. They need to give 100% of their salary from working to the house. Now, if you don't need it all to run the house for food and rent and whatever you're doing, then you can give them some back for their own money. But they need to work and turn over their paychecks to you if they're living in that house without any question. All right? They're your sons. They need to support you. They're old enough now. So... um Uh, I tell you what, parents so quickly become victims, even with their own children. Those children need to be responsible and take care of a mother who brought them into the world, who diapered them, who sacrificed her life for them, and who has raised them in enormous pain with a husband who is not um, a man of God and uh, with migraine headaches that she suffered through her whole life. Boys, you need to now turn around and make your mother's life a good one. Go to work and support her. Okay, beloved. We're coming near the end of the program, and so we won't be able to take other calls or emails right now. Um, But you are welcome to get your question ready for tomorrow, um, and we can take lots of questions. And every once in a while, when we we need to pre-record a program, because maybe I'll be traveling, we answer those questions so the program is fresh and I take your email. So we'll get to all of them. Um, We will. There's our ending music, beloved. Um, God bless you. Live the gospel as if it's true with your whole heart, mind, and soul. And pray for the Amazon Synod. Pray for the church. God bless you. And we'll speak with you tomorrow.